Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use, and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos, and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. On the 8th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we find inspiration in the Lake District. How about a challenge of the National Three Peaks? And Right up to date now, I, I work for a programme called The Adventure Show, which goes out in BBC Scotland. I'm the, um, I'm the Adventure Show sort of token old fart, if you like, because uh, it is a very much a young person's programme. Professional walker Cameron McNeish tells us how he got into the great outdoors. Welcome to the 8th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. With a bit of luck, this month should see some better weather for the launch of the National Trust's Great British Walk Festival, which carries on until the 4th of November. And you can find out more about that on our blog. And we're hoping to have a special report about the festival on the next podcast. Don't forget, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Walks Britain. And you can share with us your video clips and your photos from your walking trips on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash walks Britain. Now we all know the Lake District is an inspiring place and has a long history of influencing artistic people from William Wordsworth to Samuel Taylor Coleridge, from Joseph Turner to John Ruskin and more recently several of Britain's best landscape photographers. One of those recently recorded on his Blackberry his thoughts in a quiet time between shots. My name is Mark Gilligan I'm a professional landscape photographer and a writer for many of the national photographic walking and uh, regional magazines. I write features up uh, in Cumbria and Lake District Life, Lancashire Life, Lakeland Walker. Very proud I am too. And I'm speaking to you now, <laughs> I didn't say summer's evening, but that's what it is. It's been an appalling day and I'm on the top of Erton Pike uh, looking at Waswater which is beginning to glow a little bit as the sun goes down. It's now quarter past eight and uh, it's been an horrendous day. That's the beauty of this place, it changes by the minute. I've been working up and around the lakes now for many, many, many years. Uh, the first time I ever came here was with my parents a long time ago. Uh, my mother was evacuated at uh, Ulverston in the war, and so I'm no stranger to the Western Lakes. But I really remember it for the very first, what I would call, proper visit uh, with my wife Irene some 30-odd years ago. We'd camped at Brothers Water. I always remember as we got to the foot of Kirkstone, again, it was absolutely lashing down. And I remember the campsite owner saying, if you can find a dry spot, you can pitch. Well, we did. And we did. We had a great week. Bailing everything out every few minutes. But, I mean, we had a really good time. And one thing that really stands out, apart from the incredible scenery, which we hardly ever saw, uh, because it was just uh, low cloud all week, 
was a visit to Dove Cottage, Wordsworth Place. Irene wasn't feeling too good. We were on the guided tour. I got hold of the guide and said, you know, my wife's really feeling quite dizzy and poorly. Uh, and without thought for anyone else that was there, she grabbed hold of Irene and uh, immediately showed her the back kitchen door and uh, really wasn't bothered about her, but said, uh, there you go. And whatever you do, don't be sick on the daffodils. And it, it made her lasting impression. And uh, that was the first time we found out that uh, she was pregnant with our first son, David. Happy times. Over the years, uh, we've come back and uh, actually fell in love with Snowdonia at one point. Um, was always up on Snowdonia and loved it. Did every single route that you can think of. But then I got this commission up here a number of years back. Gent approached me and said, would like you very much to make my girl smile. Now, he wasn't after some sort of northern gigolo. He just wanted some, as he put it, fabulous shots of wash water. He liked my stuff and sent me up here. And, uh, well, it went down so well that uh, I was invited to exhibit work in a number of places, and that's continued to this day. One thing I remember prescriptively about my first proper view of wash water was how ethereal it looked like an amphitheater i remember standing there on this um, a july afternoon it was bleak and black and hammering down and that imposing wall of the screes um you couldn't really see up towards wasdale head at all new um, barrow was clouded ling mel but that wall in that darkness and that rain pounding onto the water was quite something i was stood up I call it the slabs, but most of you will know it as the, the shelter area up on the top. And uh, wrapped up in, it was all pre-Gore-Tex days, so it was cagoules and whatever you could uh, lay your hand on, old army stuff, and uh, within half an hour that was stripped off, it was scorching hot, and this incredible light had punched through the sky and was just illuminating the fells with these incredible rays irrespective of the clouds it was just quite striking i fell in love with it at that particular time i mean they say you always remember your first time well that was mine and i'll, I'll never ever forget it it was quite an astonishing introduction to a wonderful water I've lost count of the number of photographs that I've taken over the years. Somebody said at one point when they went through all the hard drives and, and files, it was well in excess of 30,000. Um, eventually I'll get one picture right. But it, it's been an incredible marriage between the pair of us. I set up wash water photography on the back of it. And um, what pleases me is that people like the work that I do. I, uh, I run landscape photography courses here. Um, those are very popular. I enjoy running those. It's great to meet people of all abilities. I've taught pros and, and countless number of, of people who've literally just got hold of the camera for the first time. It's a great experience and uh, it's a humbling experience. It's something I, I never lose sight of the fact that uh, they come to you for help and uh, hopefully that's what I impart in a, I like to think, a humorous way. As I'm talking to you now, the clouds are peeling back. It's getting that little bit better. It's a lot more blue sky coming into the frame now. I, I liken uh, landscape photography to, to carp or pike fishing. You have a good idea what you're going to get. Uh, it could be nothing, but there's a lot of patience involved. That time, 
that magic time that you have to yourself. I'm here, there's nobody about at all. There is nobody in this area. I haven't seen one person for over two hours. I'm stood here atop Burton Pike and the sun is now beating down on the back of my balding pate and it's glorious. And I'm going to have to go because I can see that I'm going to take a few pictures in a minute because this is looking something spectacular. He says they'll probably turn out bobbins, but there we go. Well, I'd like to thank Andrew for inviting me to, to talk to you. Um, hopefully I'll be able to do some more in the in the future. Um, I do work a lot with Dave Powell Thompson. A lot of you will know Dave from his time on the Wainwright programmes. He's Julia's guide. She came out with that wonderful phrase, everybody needs a David. David and I are good pals. We, we walk the fells together and we find some great locations. And hopefully I can bring David on board at some point. But for now, thank you very much and uh, enjoy my pictures at Washwater Photography. .co.uk We all know that Ben Nevis is the highest mountain in Britain. But in relation to mountains around the world, it's really a bit of a molehill. Indeed, it doesn't feature in the highest 100 mountains on the planet. So climbing up it isn't too big a challenge. But if you add the peaks of Scarfell Pike and Snowdon to the trek and then attempt to do the lot within 24 hours, including the travelling to each one of the three mountains as well, then you've got a real challenge. Then you've got the National Three Peaks. One man who's attempted this is Mark Brigham, from the outdoor stores Ellis Brigham. And he joins me now via Skype. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast. That's all right. So tell us about how your Three Peaks challenge came about. It was last summer I did it, end of June. And um, prior to that, the year before, in 2010... I'd gone up Mont Blanc, which was something that I'd always wanted to do. And then the plan was to do Kilimanjaro as well. So we actually didn't quite complete Kilimanjaro that year, but uh, planned to go back. But having done that that year, I decided I'd try and do a, a some kind of challenge every year. And um, it just came about from a New Year's. A friend of mine was talking about how he'd wanted to do it. And um, and I sort of thought, well, yeah, it could be... Um, could be a good challenge to do and you know see if I can raise some sponsorship money for Rainbow Trust in the process and it was just really that it was just kind of um I'd never climbed up Scarfell Pike before and not done Ben Nevis actually um all the way to the top so so just thought well let's let's um try and nail them all in 24 hours and it's a good challenge to aim for really it meant that you know for a couple of months prior you're you're sort of building up to it, you're getting fit and it pushes you to go out and do more walking than you necessarily would do if you didn't have it. So um, so I think it was, yeah, it just came about by that really. Ben Nevis is obviously our tallest mountain, but by European or Asian standards, it's it's pretty small, isn't it? Yes. But by doing all the three peaks yeah. in 24 so, hours, it makes a, a fantastic challenge. Absolutely, yeah. And um, and I think it's, it's, it's also challenging. I mean, like I said, I did did Mont Blanc the year before and there's no real comparison um because we had really good weather but the challenge with doing something like this in the UK is is the sort of weather logistics um you know the lack of sleep and just trying to fit it all in in the time frame so um so I think that's that's quite a good thing to push yourself to do really. So on the three peaks of the Yorkshire Dales there's a recognised clocking on and clocking off point how, how does it work for the national three peaks? It's um it's all done, really, it's all done on honesty. Um, so, the, I mean, unless you're doing a, an organised charity event. I mean, while I was raising money for 
for a charity. I did it through um, a kind of organization. Um, so it wasn't a specific. And you see so many charity people walking up and down the hills. You almost <laughs> you almost follow them through. So you're there on Ben Nevis doing one and you get to the top. You see other people on the top and they're taking pictures. Next minute you'll be on Scarfell Pike and you'll be seeing the same people. And there was a group that we almost followed right behind the whole way through. Um, and that, that's quite funny. But um, so, yeah, it, it's based on honesty, really, what I did. But I think the charity ones, they do have someone at the top who's clicking people off, making sure that they do it. And um, so it's a little bit more organised than that. But the point is, if you, if you want to take something on like this, you, you are going to do it. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's certain things out of your control. There's things you can control, such as your fitness, the equipment you take, um, you know, the speed with which you do it, those sort of things in terms of climbing up and down the mountain. Things out of your control, which we actually came across, was any kind of traffic delays um, and things like that. And we actually had one guy on our group. I mean, it was only a group of um, six. We had one guy who was quite ill, and we had to keep stopping for that. Um, oh, no. So these these things you can't factor in, and you're kind of looking at your watch, thinking, oh, "Are we going to do it? Are we not?" Um, <laughs> which is all part of the fun of it, but um, obviously not being if you're the one who's being ill. But um, no, no. So yeah, there's things you can control and things you can't, which I think just adds to the challenge of it all, really. <laughs> is there an accepted order in which to do all the three? I read a few books on it prior to doing it, and some people say you should always try and do Ben Nevis. Start off in Ben Nevis and do it in the dark. That way, you know, you're hitting Scarfell Pike in the morning and then you're finishing Snowden late in the afternoon, and it's it's easier for driving. That's the reason they're saying it. You know, the M6 is less busy at that time of night when you're driving from Ben Nevis to Scarfell Pike. Other Sounds people, logical. Yeah, no, it does. And other people say, well, start at Snowden, finish at Ben Nevis. You know, right. the, there is no... I think the the route, generally speaking, is Ben Nevis, Scarfell Pike, Snowden, in that order. Um, and, and actually, I did it by starting Ben Nevis early in the morning, half six, and finished Snowden, obviously, the following morning as the sun was coming up. And and that worked mainly because the weather was on our side in terms of finishing Snowden in the dry and starting Ben Nevis in the wet. But it doesn't really, I don't think it really matters. I don't think there's any proven good way of doing it. Um, but, I was just yeah. wondering whether it's a good idea to get the big one out first. I think I think that is the general, yeah, the accepted kind of logic, really. Yeah, do that one when you're most motivated. Yes, um, when you've um, got the most energy. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, and and then you kind of you've got the longest drive out of the way quite early on in the stage as well. It didn't. It does mean that by the time you get to Scarfell Pike, um, your motivation is lagging somewhat, especially if you're getting there sort of like we did late in the afternoon. And it was kind of one of the. It was a real miserable afternoon, and you know you've just sat for about five hours in the van. Your muscles have all kind of seized up, and the last thing you want to do is get out of uh, a minibus and go and climb up, you know, what is about a thousand meters just under. So you, you have to have good motivation for that. But uh, by the time you get to Snowden, last mountain, it's, um, it's good. You can, you know, you can just really go for it. And that's another interesting point because you, you've got these long journeys between the mountains where your muscles and your body could, could wind down and, and get into a point where you could seize up. Yes. And, and one of the things I tried to do was, I mean, you can get all this compression gear now, and it is really good, you know, if, if you can and you've got room in, in the minibus, which isn't always possible, especially if you're doing it on a big 
big um, sort of organized trip with lots of other people, then, you know, to stretch out and just kind of put some kind of compression garment on in between the hills is always quite a nice thing. And whilst you're sleeping or trying to get some sleep, then it's it's perfect, really. But it's not always possible. So you do end up starting the middle mountain or the last mountain just feeling a bit, um, yeah, a bit tight. <laughs> So how does the Three Peaks compare with doing a much higher mounting all in one go? Uh, is it a greater challenge because you've got these, these long periods of resting when you're travelling, which actually doesn't help you for the next mountain? Yeah, I think, yeah, no, it's a good good question, actually. And drawing on my experience from the year before, having done um, sort of Mont Blanc where you do it in two stages and you mm. sleep for about four hours in between, I think in, in some ways, um, mentally... Mont Blanc was, although it's higher, it was it was easier to sort of push yourself, to motivate yourself, because you're literally you're getting out of bed in the morning and it's the final push, the final thousand meters. And so you can just keep, and you know it's going to be a long day and you just program yourself for that. Whereas um, for these, it's having slept a little, dozed a little in the van, you're then waking up and it's kind of, it's nice and cozy in the van and then you've got to get out and hit Scarfell Pike and, it, it was prob- I think Scarfell Pike was possibly the lowest point of the 24 hours, to be honest. And it's such a shame because it's a spectacular place, but um, it's just where it came in, in the um, sort of proceedings, really, which is a shame. So, yeah, I'd say, I'd say the Three Hills is probably a mentally more challenging sort of challenge, really. So, Mont Blanc, yeah. Three Peaks, what's this year's challenge? <laughs> um, well, I had planned... Um, Everest Base Camp was on the agenda for this year, um, but that's ah. that's been put on hold. That was supposed to be May. Um, that's been put on hold as I'm now getting married in September. So, um, <laughs> but um, looking to go to Patagonia possibly in November and do some treks around there. So maybe I can come back and report on that once I've done those. Sounds exciting. So. And congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. That's okay. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Before the current crop of television walkers were striding across dales and fells, one man was taking film crews up the side of mountains, whilst writing many books and editing magazines. Cameron McNeish has made a career out of the great outdoors, and is perhaps the most recognised exponent of the wonders which is the Scottish wilderness. I caught up with him at the Keswick Mountain Festival, and I started by asking just how he got into the great outdoors. Gosh, well, I've probably started fairly late in life, Andrew. I, I, I was an athlete. I was, a, I was an international long jumper through my teenage years. Uh, I represented Scotland at long jump twice uh, in international competition. Um, but even during that time, uh, I spent a bit of time, you know, the usual routes through scouts, Duke of Edinburgh award scheme, went to the hills. But it was really when I was around about 20, 21, and I had been doing a bit of rock climbing but trying to keep my athletics going. I was training pretty much full time. I was actually training for the 1970 Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh. Um, and when I didn't actually make the Commonwealth Games team and I had various injuries and whatnot, I was very, very disappointed. And uh, I used to train through in Murray Banks Sports Stadium in Edinburgh where the Commonwealth Games were being held. And then climb up Arthur Seat, the dormant volcano that dominates Edinburgh, and sit up there wondering to myself, should I keep athletics going or it might be a lot easier just taking up hill walking as a, as, as a, as a hobby. And I would gaze across the Firth of Forth, across at the, the hills of Fife and the highlands beyond. 
So eventually I decided, because I kept getting injured and various things, and I, I thought, I'm going, to start, I'm going to start hill walking and climbing a bit more seriously. And at that time, I was, I was in the police force. I was a policeman. And in the police force, they gave me a job working with police cadets. And all during the summer, I'd take these police cadets canoeing and climbing and hill walking. Uh, and I eventually thought to myself, I could be doing this all the year round. You know, why go back on the beat in the winter? So, so I eventually stopped, went to work for the Scottish Youth Hostels Association, started instructing. And for a long time, uh, I, I instructed uh, and did a little bit of writing in the morning, a bit of light, writing at night. Uh, eventually ran an outdoor centre in, in Newton Moore, where I live now. Um, uh, and then thought to myself, what, I, one of these sort of career moments, do I want to keep instructing for the rest of my life or uh, should I do a bit more writing? And see? So eventually the writing took over and um, I've now been sort of you know, writing about mountains and, and, and making TV programmes with mountains and, and whatnot for almost 40 years. <laughs> that's a long time, isn't it? So, so that's it, yeah. Just how easy is it to start writing about the mountains and the outdoors? Well, funnily enough, I found an old typewriter in the house and I sat down and I just started typing stuff out for my own interest. And um, at one point I met a chap, I joined the Backpackers Club oh, way back in oh, the mid-1970s. And one of the founders of the Backpackers Club was a chap called Peter Lumley, who's still around. Uh, and he was, at that time, he was editor of a magazine called Practical Camper. Uh, and I met him at a Backpackers Club meeting. Uh, and he said to me, you know, you live up in the Highlands there, you're out in the hills all the time. Do you ever write anything about it? And I said, well, I do, just for my own interest. And he said, well, let me see what you've done. So I sent him a couple of pieces. And he said, he'd like to publish them. So that's really where it started. And around about that time, Roger Smith started what was then the Great Outdoors magazine, what we know now as TGO magazine. And um, he asked me to, to write for him. So I was quite lucky, I suppose, meeting the right people at the right time uh, with the Great Outdoors magazine starting at that time. And um, eventually I started writing for Climber magazine. And then I became deputy editor of Climber magazine, then editor of Climber. Although at that time it was called Climber and Rambler. But when I became editor, I was quite keen to change it from Climber and Rambler because everybody thought it was a rose growers magazine. So uh, I changed it to Climber magazine. And then about five years down the line, um, I, I took over uh, the Great Outdoors magazine and did that for 20 years until a couple that of years That filled ago. a niche, didn't it? Because uh, at that time there really wasn't anything around like that, was there? There wasn't. There wasn't. There, was a, there were a couple of um, climbing magazines. There was Climber uh, and there was a magazine at the time called Crags, which eventually became High magazine. Um, so they were around, but there was nothing for the hillwalker. Climber and Rambler was supposed to cover it, but it, it didn't really. Walt Unsworth, who was the editor at the time, wasn't all that interested in the Rambler side of it, which I can understand. And, uh, it, it became very much a climbing magazine, or was a climbing magazine. So the Great Outdoors really filled a niche at the time. Uh, and of course, you know, a few years down the line, um, Country Walking magazine started and Trail magazine started. So, and now we have you know, quite, a, quite a choice. So what do you remember about working for the Scottish Youth Hostels? It was great. It was a good time. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, I'd been a policeman, working shifts and all the rest of it. Uh, and it was really, when we went to work for the Scottish Youth Hostels Association in Aviemore, my, my two sons were born. So it gave me an opportunity to, to basically be at home when they were kind of growing up, you know, before they went to school. So I think that was probably quite important. Um, and as well as running the youth hostel, it gave me an opportunity to start taking people out in the hills and instructing and also gave me the time during the day. A youth hostel warden's job is very, very busy in the morning, very, very busy in the late afternoon evening. Um, but you've got a big space during the day, so it gave me an opportunity to start writing some things. So it's, uh, it was a good time. We enjoyed it. Um, it was um, a time of, of very little pressure. 
We sort of lived in the youth hostel, we enjoyed meeting all the people, which was, which was lovely. Gave me an opportunity to get to know the Cairngorms, um, which is still my sort of favourite mountain area because they're my hills of home, if you like. So I had a lot of pluses. Tell me about the Scottish National Trail. The notion of a trail running right through Scotland, or, or right through the UK for that matter, is not a new one. Uh, my old friend Hamish Brown had an idea of, 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 of producing a, a trail right through Scotland a number of years ago and in fact wrote a very good book which covered the, from the borders up to um, the West Highland Way and into the Highlands. So it's not a new concept. Um, but last year I was in the Himalayas and the Nepalese had just opened up the Great Himalayan Trail and I thought if it can be a, you know, a walking route right through Nepal, surely we can do one in Scotland. Um, so I looked at it and looked at the existing trails that, that we have and I thought I don't need to develop anything new because these trails are all there, all we have to do is link them together. Um, so that's what I've done and basically I've linked the, the um, St Cuthbert's Way to the Southern Uplands Way to some local trails called Tweed Trails um, which goes to the water of Leith outside Edinburgh, goes into Edinburgh then I follow a couple of canals in the newly developed John Muir Way through to the south end of the West Highland Way, then pick up the Rob Roy Way um, and that sort of takes me up to the Corrie Arick uh, and over to Glengarry where we pick up the Cape Wrath Trail. So you know the routes are already there, you just have to link them all together. So it was a very simple idea uh, and I put this idea to, um, to Scotland's First Minister Alex Salmond who got very very excited about it because his mother was a very keen Munro bagger, she'd done 170 Munros. And um, he was, said he was very keen to get involved in this, so he said he'd come and launch it. Um, and as soon as he announced that he was getting involved in this, you know, everybody's come on board with help, so it's been, it's been great. So um, I've, I've now walked the route three times. Uh, it's about 375 miles long. It's, I think it's one of the finest backpacking routes in the world, but I'm biased, so I would say that anyway. But it is spectacular, it is a, and, it, and it covers a fantastic variety of landscapes, from the rolling hills of the borders to those pretty remote areas in the northwest of Scotland and everything in between. So uh, I think it's got fantastic potential. And we're doing two hour-long programmes for the BBC in December. Um, they'll probably go out Christmas week. Might, we're talking about one in Christmas week, one in New Year's week, two hour-long programmes. So, so that'll really kind of launch it and give everybody an idea of what it's like. I don't expect masses to come and walk the whole thing at once. There'll be a certain amount of people who will be quite keen to walk the whole thing. But I like the idea of people being able to walk sections of it, you know, like the south of Scotland section from the borders to Edinburgh, which is a beautiful walk. Five days, six days walking, really nice. Or maybe in the middle section um, from, you know, from, from, from the bottom of the West Highland Way up to, to Aviemore. Or the Cape Wrath Trail, which is an interesting trail because there isn't actually a route. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a number of routes that various people have taken. Um, but um, hopefully it'll all piece together. Uh, and people will walk various sections just as they will. You're no stranger to television, are you? No, no, it's, I've, I've been doing television for about 20 years. Um, <clears throat> the first major thing I did in television was um, a, a six-part series called The Edge, 100 Years of Scottish Mountaineering, which was back in 1994, I think. Uh, so that was my first sort of real role. And, and it was uh, nominated for a BAFTA, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, it did very well. In fact, you won a BAFTA, yeah, yes, it was, it was yes. good. Um, so that, right up to date now, I, I work for a programme called The Adventure Show, which goes out in BBC Scotland. I'm the, um, I'm the adventure show sort of token old fart, if you like, because uh, it is a very much a young person's um, programme um, with, with the activities that they cover. 
Um, but I, I do a sort of hill walking piece in it and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's been exciting. It's been good. It's nice to do that because it brings the outdoors into people's living room. And uh, I get a lot of satisfaction when people ring me up and say, you know, I can't for a number of reasons go and do these things, but I love to watch it on the television. So, so that's nice. I'm also, I'm also quite proud of the fact that I do it as an enthusiast and not as a celebrity. Um, and I think there's a huge difference between the people who do these programmes as enthusiasts, because they do it anyway, and those who do it because the BBC or some other television station asks them to do it. Uh, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I think you know, there's, there's a huge variety. I'll mention one name, uh, Nicholas Crane, who presents Coast. Nick, Nick is, a, is a true enthusiast, uh, and I think it shows. We're just outside Scotland at the moment. What are your favourite areas in the rest of the country? I think I have to say Keswick, because I'm here. I've often said that if the SNP ever threw me out of Scotland, I would probably come and live in Keswick because, well, I've got a lot of friends who live here. I'm very passionate about the Lake District. I love it. But having recently just cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats, there's a lot of areas I passed through that I didn't really know before. Indeed, I passed through an area of Cumbria that um, I wasn't really aware existed because I thought Cumbria was just the Lake District. But, you know, lots of nice areas. Probably the best day of that ride was going through the Scottish borders. We cycled from Longtown near Carlisle up to, um, up to Peebles over um, Ettrick and past the Samueling Buddhist Centre. and it was, it was wonderful. It was a great day. So lots of areas that I discovered in that cycle route that I want to go back and explore on foot. Cameron, thanks very much. OK, my pleasure. Well, that's all we can squeeze into this month. You can check out links and photos to the various features in this edition on our blog. And to get to that, simply click through from our homepage, walksaroundbritain.co.uk. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking.